energy. I am done talking about Mac Jones. As far as I am concerned, Mac Jones is no longer on the New England Patriots. The passion. I am very, very happy that the state of Vermont has legalized sports gambling. I just don't know if after my weekend, I can partake in it anymore. The opinions on all your favorite teams. This isn't Craig Breslow's fault. The Red Sox are not the Red Sox of old, but it's an ownership directive. Direct your anger at them. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Thursday. Brady Farkas Show, WDEB AM and FM and WDEBradio.com. We are on for 75 minutes today, and then it is girls' high school basketball as we get closer and closer to finishing out the regular season around the state of Vermont. Brent Curtis will be on the call. We're going to talk with Buster Olney of ESPN. We are still firming up the time, even at the 11th hour here. So somewhere between 6.05 and 6.15, we're going to be talking with Buster, talk about Red Sox spring training, talk about the Liam Hendricks signing. Buster was actually very big in kind of the breaking of the details of that contract. Talk about Alex Cora's future. A lot of good stuff there to get to. With Buster, we do have spring training baseball on our TVs today. Here in the studio, Dodgers, Padres, 14-1 to Dodgers in the seventh inning. I guess just give the Dodgers the title now, but we do have baseball on in our uh, – on in our studios, and that makes me happy as well. Got a couple of UVM games tonight. The UVM women are taking on UAlbany. Really, really big game. That is uh, over at Patrick Gym tonight about a half hour from now at 6 if you, uh, UVM can win this game, they do have a very decent chance of getting the number two seed in the conference tournament, lose this game. They're all but assured the number three seed. So um, a lot of good stuff there. UVM men tonight at Albany. Cats have a two-game lead right now for the top seed in the America East Conference tournament. They want to wrap up the number one, and they want this tournament to come through Patrick Jim. I want it to come through Patrick Jim. You want it to come through Patrick Jim. So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But that game is at 7 o'clock tonight over in Albany. And uh, I want to talk a lot about the Patriots as well here in this first half hour before we kind of get into an all-baseball mode in the back half of the show. So you can get in on the text line, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. I am here. You are here. Danny is here. Danny, let go. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont and upstate New York's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, Rouses Point, New York, and at Swanton Lumber. They are online at sticksandstuff.com. Danny, let's start with the Patriots. We started with the Patriots yesterday, right? Yesterday was Alex Van Pelt's comments about everything being on the table with regards to Mac Jones. Today, let's go to Gerard Mayo. Gerard Mayo, the new head coach of the Patriots, talking about why he made this hire, why he hired Alex Van Pelt as his offensive coordinator. All the people that I talk to, um, they speak very highly of AVP. Uh, Obviously, he understands the X's and O's of the game, but also uh, developing talent. And and really, he is a relationship guy, which I fundamentally believe is very important. before you really get into X's and O's with the guys on the field, they got to know that you care about them. And one thing about AVP, which you guys will see here shortly, uh, he is a people person, but also with an extensive knowledge of football. I am very excited about this hire, right? We spent a lot of time complaining about the Patriots in 2023. And frankly, there was a lot to complain about with the Patriots in 2023. I believe that Gerard Mayo has done a good job in the early going in building his staff. There, there are pitfalls in Gerard Mayo. There are things to worry about with Gerard Mayo. And is he too, is he enough not like Belichick, et cetera, right? We're going to have questions about Mayo and we're never going to know exactly how he is until we see what he's doing with two minutes and 18 seconds left. And Josh Allen has the ball and his team's on defense or how these hires work out until it's two minutes and 18 minutes, two minutes and 18 seconds left. And you're down six going in for the game winning score, what you can do offensively. But as we sit here now, and Gerard Mayo has been hired for a month and change, there are things that I've liked that he has said. I like this hire of Alex Van Pelt. I liked it at the time. I like it a few weeks later. I like that he says he's a people person, right? I have said to his point fundamentally that having good relationships and being relatable to your players and being conversational with your players, it's never mattered more than it matters right now. You look at who's in the league right now, for the most part, 
the players in the National Football League are millennials and are Gen Z players. You can call them soft. You can say they're not like they were back in your day. You can say, back in my day, we just did it this way. Well, that's not the way this generation is. This generation likes relationships. This generation likes being coddled a little bit. This generation likes coaches that can relate to them, that can talk to them, that can tell them why. And when Gerard Mayo says, I believe in that, and my coaching staff will believe in that, that is something that rings with me. Now, we'll have to make sure it's not just a buzzword and it's not just saying the right thing, but I'm going to trust that that's who Alex Van Pelt is. I like that Alex Van Pelt has experience and has experience with a lot of different quarterbacks. Right? He is wor- he played in the league for a long time. He's been around a bunch of staffs. He's been coaching for 15 plus years. He's been an offensive coordinator, you know, before. He's called plays lukewarmly before, but he's done it to a degree. And this year with Cleveland, they have five different starting quarterbacks and found a way to get to the playoffs. He built an offense for Deshaun Watson. He built an offense for Dorian Thompson Robinson, a young guy. He built an offense for PJ Walker. He built an offense for Joe Flacco. They played with Jeff Driscoll at the end of the season. And the Cleveland Browns won 10-plus games and got to the playoffs. And he helped take Joe Flacco from off the couch to one of the best stories in the NFL. So he has done it with multiple different people, with multiple different quarterback types in multiple different cities, and he's found a way to get the job done. I was often clamoring for a young hotshot coordinator. Well, I like that Alex Van Pelt, it turns out, is an older guy, is a seasoned veteran. And I don't know that Alex Van Pelt has head coaching desires. So maybe he's a guy that's going to be here for a little bit. Maybe he's a guy that you're going to grow with. Part of the problem for Mac Jones, in addition to a lot of other things, but part of the problem for Mac Jones has been he's had three coordinators in three years, but really four if you include Joe Judge as having any say in what he did. Maybe whoever's here next is the quarterback gets some runway out of Alex Van Pelt. Maybe he's here for three years. Maybe he's here for five years. Maybe he doesn't want to be a head coach, right? He doesn't fit the young head coach profile that everyone's going for, so maybe he ends up being a guy who just stays here and you end up getting some continuity on your staff and getting some continuity for your quarterback, and that is good as well. Van Pelt also talked about what his offense is going to look like in 2024. What kind of system the Patriots are going to run. Danny, give me the Phil Perry cut. Phil Perry, our guy from NBC Sports Boston, on the offense. It's Phil Perry number three. Yeah, I thought in terms of the offense and what kind of scheme they're going to run, Alex Van Pelt was pretty open. It's going to be essentially the Browns offense with some differences. So it won't be the same as how he put it, but similar. And we know what that is. That's an offshoot of the the Kyle Shanahan offense, Kevin Stefanski, Gary Kubiak. We, We have an idea there, and that's what we thought would happen. That's what I thought he would say here today, but at least that's one answer that checks the bo- uh, checks a box, Andy. I think we got some details in terms of what he even is looking for in a quarterback. In there. The Cleveland Browns offense is going to be kind of the basis for the Patriots. I am very, very happy about this as well. Right? I believe what the Cleveland Browns have done is they have built a quarterback-friendly offense. Right, You look at the Browns for the last several years, they have been a run-first team that has the ability to utilize the tight end and has the ability to utilize play action. Now, the Patriots will not make it look as easy as the Browns have. The Browns have invested a lot of money in their offensive line. The Browns have invested money in the running back position the last several years. We talk about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. The Browns have invested money in offensive skill players, be it over the last several years, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Amari Cooper, David Njoku, Austin Hooper. Like, they have invested the kid out of Florida Atlantic, Bryant, I think his name is, the tight end. They have invested high draft capital in offensive line play and offense. They've spent on running backs, and they've invested in their own running back in Nick Chubb. The, The Patriots don't have that infrastructure, right? They don't have those players. But the system that the Browns have run I believe is quarterback friendly, and that's what I'm trying to build. No matter who is playing quarterback for the Patriots in 2024, they will need it to be quarterback friendly. If it is Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi, they will need a lot of help. Their system will need to help them, right? They are physically deficient, 
but they can have a quarterback-friendly offense. If it is a young quarterback like I want, somebody you take with the number three overall pick, if it is a young quarterback, somebody you take in the second round or the third round or whatever, they are going to need a quarterback-friendly offense that has multiple answers for them and multiple outlets. If you bring in a free agent quarterback who's kind of a retread, like your Tyrod Taylor type, they're not going to be physically skilled enough to go and wing it alone. right? Every angle the Patriots could play at the quarterback position will need and benefit from this kind of offense. Okay, I do want to see the Patriots be a modern offense down the road. I want to see them be able to have a mobile quarterback and someone who can move and someone who can throw it down the field. But when you're in this year one of this rebuilding process, I believe that having an offense based around a power run game with play-action capability to get the ball down the field, I believe that that is the way to go for this year. Right? I am not expecting the Patriots to win the division and go to the Super Bowl this year. If I can protect my, hopefully, young quarterback and keep him safe and insulate him from problems and keep him from getting killed, that would be a good first step. And also, again, having an offense that has some dynamic elements to it. Right? I saw the Tennessee Titans play an offense this way, based around Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, a limited quarterback. Use Derrick Henry and have play action pass to A.J. Brown, and that team got the number one seed in the AFC playoffs one year. I've seen the Browns now with Baker Mayfield and with this collection of quarterbacks make the playoffs twice in the last four years. That's more than the Patriots have made it, right? Browns made it in 2020, maybe it's two and five years, 2020 and 2023. More than the Patriots, same as the Patriots have made it, right? I am in favor of this kind of offense right away. The next question is logically, what do the Patriots need to do to give themselves the best opportunity, the best chance to run this offense and run it successfully? In my mind, the Patriots need to not spend hardly any money on defense and free agency, and they need to spend not many draft picks on defense in the draft. Because if they want to run this offense well, they need almost an entirely new offense, right? And that's just the reality of it. If they want to do this offense well, they need almost an entirely new offense. You look at the Patriots, right? David Andrews, good offensive lineman up front. Is he going to play or is he going to retire? I imagine he'll play, but that's still unknown at this point. So you've got him. You've got Cole Strange. You've got Mike Awainu, who right now we don't know if they're going to sign long-term, franchise tag, or whatever, but I'll say that he's going to be here next year. So I got three linemen right now, right? Basically a center and two guards. If I'm going to run and be a run-first offense, play-action offense, I'm going to need two tackles, right? I'm going to need a tackle on each side. So I got to spend capital somehow on that, draft or, or in free agency, right? I need two new tackles. I'm going to need another running back. Right, The Kareem Hunt-Nick Chubb dynamic works because there's both of them. I have one, and that's Ramondre Stevenson. I'm going to need to invest somewhere in a second running back. Maybe it's Ezekiel Elliott, but I don't think Ezekiel Elliott runs quite like those guys in Cleveland did. I'm going to need probably two tight ends. If I want a two tight end set where I can you know, add more to the line of scrimmage and that helps my run game, or I can you know, play action to him, I'm going to need two tight ends. Mike Kosicki, Hunter Henry, you're both free agents. That's two tight ends. Two tackles, two tight ends, and a running back. That's five needs on offense that I have. Then I'm going to need how many wide receivers do we need? Probably three, if not four, right? You've got DeMario Douglas, who we like, and Devontae Parker, who we have. I don't know if we like him or not, but we have him. We don't. Huh? We don't. We don't like him, you're saying? I don't know. I don't speak for everybody, but he's not a truly dynamic player. He might be on the roster. He might be a guy that can help, but he's not someone that I'm going in here saying, okay, we don't need wide receiver help just because we have Devontae Parker. So you're starting to see the needs stack up here. I believe in the coach. I believe in the philosophy. I believe in the system. Now you got to go get the players that can be kind of bootleg versions of what the Browns had, right? The, the, the Patriots will not have 
Nick Chubb, David Njoku, Jack Conklin, Austin Hooper. They won't have those guys, not in year one. So they got to go out and find kind of bootleg versions of them. Go out and spend in free agency. Go out and get guys in the draft. Yes, you're going to need to replace some people on defense, but I would hopefully trust Gerard Mayo to run my defense effectively, and I would hope I don't have to go and invest in a whole lot of talent to go and fix that because this offense has a lot of needs. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. There was one other thing that I absolutely loved that a Patriots coach said yesterday. I'll tell you what that was next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show right here on DEV. I'll get you that Patriots coaching staff sound here momentarily. Reminder, Buster only going to join us. We think about 610 here on the show. Buster, uh, certainly excited about baseball returning as I am, right? We got it on the studio TVs right here. The Dodgers and Padres are playing. Red Sox will take their first action coming up this weekend. Our guy Tom Karen is going to be on the call over at Nesson for those games, uh, that early game against Northeastern. I remember watching that game last year. That was our first look at Masataka Yoshida, and I thought that was, uh, you know, really cool last year looking at the Red Sox first spring training lineup and seeing Yoshida in it, and we'll have a lot of things to watch for this year in spring training, and we'll start to do that this weekend. Danny, I'm hoping this is going to work out well for you, but you're Danny Hoops, and we've got a bunch of staggered start times today, so I hope everything works out for you in the way that you want. UVM women are at 6 o'clock. Now, obviously, we are here right now. You can have it on in the studio if you want to, but by the time you get home, that game will be coming down to the stretch, so I hope you get to see the end of that one. UVM men are at 7. I hope you get to see the entire first half, and hopefully it's a huge blowout, so then you can turn it over to the Celtics at 8, and that way you can see, you know, all the important parts of everything. So I hope that's how it works out for you today. But if the UVM men's game is close, will you delay watching the Celtics game until that game is over? Absolutely. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that the job will come first in that regard. Celtics are an eight and a half. I'm point a fan favorite. too. Celtics are an eight and a half point favorite on the Bulls today. Are they going to cover that or what? I hope so. I hope they don't come out flat after the All Star break. They've had eight their rest. Shouldn't be too rusty. Points, eight and a half points on the road. I mean, that certainly is a. It's a lot know, on the road. You're yeah, right. It's a decently big number on the road, but uh, you we, know, we'll we'll see. Zach Levine's not playing, so. They should be able to handle them pretty easy. Andre Drummond's still on the Bulls. He is. So, you know, see. For those of you who are wondering who we play for, the little <laughs> Charles Barkley game. Which of the 37 teams? I'm trying to think of all these guys like that are great immaculate grid answers. Andre Drummond is one of them. Oh, he totally is. Yesterday Smith I, is your best answer ever. but Yesterday I learned that uh, Kevin Ollie, who's the old head coach at UConn, uh, and I, I remember him mostly as a guard for the Sixers, but he played for 11 teams in the, wow. in the NBA. He just so. became the uh, Nets interim coach, didn't he? Oh, okay, there you go. So that's why he was in the news. That shows you how much I'm paying attention to Brooklyn right now. By the way, speaking of baseball and speaking of Buster, Red Sox Braves are going to be on ESPN next uh, two Thursdays from now, March 7th. So I know Buster will be at that one, but March 7th, that game will be on ESPN. It's a couple weeks away, but uh, I do want to just kind of – Continue to wrap up our conversation on the Patriots. Danny, there was one piece of audio yesterday that I really, really liked. And it probably went under-talked about and under-reported. But DeMarcus Covington, who is the new defensive coordinator for the Patriots, said that he plans to be the play caller for the defense in 2024, Danny. Yeah, I, I do plan on calling plays. And I will say you get those practice reps, obviously, on the practice field and in the classroom for me. So, you know, gaining those reps, uh, going through different games, going through situations in, you know, in the meeting room with the other coaches. And then also uh, putting myself in those situations on the practice field. That's how we do just like the players are out there preparing to play and they're going through reps. I should be doing the same thing as a play caller uh, doing those uh, reps in. Look, how he gets his reps and how he gets his mojo as a play caller, that's his business. That's fine. I'll leave that to him. I enjoyed hearing that he plans on being the primary play caller, a.k.a. Gerard Mayo does not plan on being the primary play caller. I think that is good news. I think that is important because, Danny, I will never forget this. 
six years ago, seven years ago, I had a chance to talk to, to Tony Dungy, right? The longtime Bucks coach and Pro Football Hall of Fame member, Colts coach, et cetera. And he told me he did not like when head coaches called plays, right? Think about these guys. They all come up as coordinators, and coordinators are what gave them their name, and they all think they're great at being coordinators, and they all are good at being coordinators. But when they come up to be the head coach, they don't want to stop doing that thing they were good at, right? They don't want to stop doing that thing they were good at. The fact that Gerard Mayo is going to cede that duty and is going to focus on just being the head coach I think is a nice welcome change and is a oftentimes really good is a really good thing because, look, there are coaches that call plays that are great, right? Kyle Shanahan called plays. Sean McVay calls plays. A lot of guys call plays, and they're really good at it. And, you know, my Seahawks just hired Mike McDonald, and he's going to call plays. And I, I think I'm happy that he's going to call plays because I know how good his defense was in Baltimore. So I can go both ways on this one. I can see both sides to it. But for Gerard Mayo, who's a first-time head coach, I am happy he's not going to be saddled with play-calling duties because being a head coach is so involved. And I think oftentimes when you are a, a new head coach, you can get overwhelmed and miss things if you have your head in your play sheet all the time or you're only ever talking with your side of the ball. You miss things. And I, I don't want my head coach to miss things, right? I want Gerard Mayo to be in tune with everything. I want him to be, okay, when are we challenging? How many challenges do we have left? What about our clock management? When are we calling timeout? How many timeouts do we have left? Okay, well, what are they doing? What's their substitution package? Now I can see this stuff. When you have your head in your play sheet, I, I don't know how you don't miss some of this stuff. This conversation, look, when it works really well, you get Andy Reid. When it works really well, you get Sean McVay and his team, you know, getting to and winning a Super Bowl. When it doesn't work well, you get Ben McAdoo's last year in New York. When it doesn't work well, you get these coaches that are that are fired. You get these coaches that have to give up play calling duties because they are missing things. I think it works. I think it doesn't work more often than it works. So the fact that DeMarcus Covington is going to be the play caller, it will free up Gerard Mayo to talk with his players to talk with other members of his staff, to talk with his training staff. That's the other thing, right? Like, if you get your head buried in your play sheet, well, who's hurt? Who's available? What's my package? I, I don't even know. So Mayo gets to – he gets the freedom now to just be the head coach, right, to be the CEO of things, to be the delegator. And I think that takes a lot of credit, right? He could have come in here and said, like, no, I want to – Call the plays. That's what I'm good at. I want to. I want to run the defense. That's what I'm good at. I, I think it's. I think it takes again delegation skills, and a swallowing of pride and a trust in your coaching staff. I think that itself is big, but also it frees him up to learn on the job as well. And I think he needs that. Um, the other thing, real quickly, Danny, about the staff. Gerard Mayo says they're going to have a much bigger staff than they had under Bill Belichick. You know, one thing we, we wanted to make sure of is that we weren't duplicating roles. And so for, for us, we were thinking about what value, what value does this role uh, bring to the team? Now, for, historically, we've always had small staffs. And, I mean, it's hard to get things done that way in today's NFL. We weren't really thinking about, you know, the size. We weren't thinking – we were just thinking about how can we make this staff as good as it can be. Now, look, honestly, uh, after talking to a lot of coaches, your first year coaching – like, you hope you put together the best staff, but realistically, I mean, it's a process. So, bottom line there, staff's going to be bigger. Now, I'd never have paid attention to staff numbers, but apparently under Bill Belichick, they had a smaller staff, more kind of centralized roles, guys doing multiple things. And I think that all extends from Bill not trusting that many people. I think Bill Belichick didn't have that much trust in people, right? He had a small circle. He trusted that small circle. He wanted his small circle to do everything, and if that meant that Matt Patricia had to call offensive plays and run the offensive line, then so be it. And Gerard Mayo says, we're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that. And I think that is good as well. Now, can you have too many cooks in the kitchen? Yeah, you probably can. You have to have those roles defined. But if you do have them defined and everybody stays in their lane, then you get you know specialized coaching and you get guys that are getting – you know, a message from one guy, and I, I think that is beneficial. 
Okay, I think that's very, very beneficial. So, okay, I got one offensive line coach. I got one safeties coach. I got one DBs coach. I got one wide receivers coach. I don't have, you know, four voices talking to my wide receivers all the time. And that's what we started to see under Bill Belichick, especially at the end. One text came in on baseball. I just want to get this before we talk to Buster. Um, do I think Brian Bayo will get an extension done like Mitch Keller got from the Pirates today? Mitch Keller, like five years, $75 million. Brian Bayo is going to get more than that now, right? Brian Bayo already has five. He's Brian Bayo already has five years left on his contract as it is, so he's going to need at least two or three beyond that. It's going to be a seven or eight year deal. And if Keller is getting seventy-seven million, I think Bayo is going to be in line for you know seventy-five to eighty-five million. It's kind of the number we came up with yesterday. Keller's an all-star. He's more accomplished. Bayo's a, a youngster, younger. I, I think seven years, seventy-five million, eight years, eighty-five million. I think that's kind of the the uh, neighborhood that Bayo is uh, is shopping in there. But we'll have Buster on here in a little while. We talked to TC about Bayo yesterday. You can find that interview on the podcast channel. So Buster will come up here in what we think is about 10 minutes. Um, all right, we got to step aside, Danny. we got to take a break. Let's get the CBS News update. We'll come back. We'll reset everything. There is one more piece of Patriots audio I want to get to before we get to Buster. We'll put a wrap on the Pats. We'll get to Buster only, our ESPN MLB insider. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM WDEV radio.com. Danny and I were just talking at the break. We're going to have to, this is going to be a short segment because we got a little uh, looped around here. Buster Olney is going to join us in a few minutes, but he's not going to join us right at this moment. So we're going to do a little bit, take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll get Buster on the phone about about 6.15 or so. So we'll get Buster on here in a couple of minutes. While we have a few minutes here before Buster, I want to wrap up some of our Patriots conversation, right? Spent a lot of the first segment on the Pats. I want to kind of play you this piece of sound because it dovetails what we talked about yesterday. So yesterday we talked a lot about Alex Van Pelt's comments about Mac Jones, right? Last segment we talked, or last, you know, in the last half hour, we talked about what he's looking for at a quarterback and what the Patriots are going to do offensively. Here is the exact sound of him yesterday Oh, no, Danny, we don't want to play that? Okay, no, we want to play Phil Perry. So we talked yesterday, Alex Van Pelt said, everything is on the table when it comes to Mac Jones, it comes to the quarterback position. I said, I don't want everything on the table. Here's what Phil Perry had to say. He largely agrees with me. This felt like a well-executed, strategic answer where you're certainly not committing to him, but you're also not ruling it out that he'll still be with the team and could potentially in some way, shape, or form end up behind center. I don't think it's their preferred option, Andy, but while he is still on the roster, you're still so far from the draft. Other teams are trying to figure out their roster, so they're probably trying to decide at some point in time here, if not now, is Mac Jones worth trading for? Is he worth us giving up a fifth or sixth round pick to send to New England to make sure we get that guy in our system? So not a commitment by any stretch. And honestly, it would surprise me if they worked really hard to make sure that they were keeping him on the roster. For- That's exactly what we said yesterday, right? Alex Van Pelt yesterday said the right things when it came to the quarterback position and when it came to Mac Jones. While he said the right things, I don't believe him. And that's basically what Phil Perry is saying also, right? So kudos to us for getting this one right yesterday. Kudos to Phil for seeing it the exact same way that we do. You are far from free agency. You are far from the draft. So as of right now, the guys you have are Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi. You can't alienate the guys who are already on your roster, right? That is sending, that would send a bad message from the new regime to the guys under contract, right? Like you can't go and push guys out the door before any of this other league stuff has happened. The league year hasn't started yet. So right now we are dealing with your roster as it sits today. So Alex Van Pelt is not going to alienate the guys on his roster. That is a smart thing to do from a coaching and locker room perspective. He's also not going to torpedo Mac Jones's trade value by saying, yeah, we don't want this guy around. And on the very offshoot that Mac Jones does end up on this roster, you got to do everything you can to build up his confidence, right? By sitting here and saying, like, hey, guy's got a fresh start, guy's, you know, have no preconceived notions, everything's on the table. You're giving Mac and Zappy both a chance to stay motivated in the offseason and an opportunity to, you know, believe that they are fighting for something. That is exactly how you do it. Back to Phil's point at the end, 
I don't think that Mac Jones is going to be on this roster in 2024, nor should he. Again, it's less about Mac Jones and it's more about New England as far as that's concerned to me. Because Mac can go through the offseason and he can make things better and he can work on himself and that's all great. The minute he throws a pick in week one, the boo birds are going to come out and it's all going to come rushing back. And that's not going to do good for anybody. Okay, That is not going to do good for anybody. So all things are on the table. It's the right thing to say on February 21st. Mac Jones will not be on the table come free agency or come the draft, right? Like they're going to get rid of him. Whether they trade him or they cut him, they're going to get rid of him. And as far as having Mac as a backup, I don't think that would be healthy either, right? Like having a backup, having him back up in New England, I don't think would be healthy because again, the new guy, right? We saw this with Mac and Cam a handful of years ago, right? Bill Belichick didn't want Cam's personality and the Cam aura breathing down Mac's neck. Now Mac doesn't have that same aura, but He's got a history here in New England. So if Mac were here, it would be a training camp story. Mac or the new guy? It would be a training camp story. How's Mac relating to the new guy? Is he helping the new guy? What's his relationship like with the new guy compared to Zappy? None of that is healthy. And then if the new guy struggles, well, hey, you've got Mac here. He's played a bunch of games. He went to the playoffs with you. He's a Pro Bowl alternate. You want to give Mac another look, Gerard Mayo? That's not good for anybody either. So all things on the table? Yeah, maybe so on – uh February 21st, Mac Jones is not on the table come, uh, you know, two and a half months from now. That's for sure. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I told you this was going to be a short segment. Wrap up our Patriots conversation. A little bit of news and notes, something that bothers me out of UVM basketball. So we'll talk about that as the Catamounts get ready to go on the road and take on Albany tonight. And then Buster Only of ESPN is going to stop by. We had spring training baseball today, people. We had spring, not the Red Sox, not the Red Sox yet, but we did have spring training baseball. So that is, uh, that's pretty cool. So happy about that. So Buster Olney of ESPN will stop by with us and he will, uh, give us his take on the Red Sox. Could they, could they be a player for Jordan Montgomery? We'll talk about it next on DEV. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com on this Thursday. Buster Olney of ESPN going to join us in a couple of minutes. Yeah, we're just pushed back a little bit with Buster, but appreciate his time as always. And uh, I know Buster's going to be seeing the Red Sox soon at spring training. Got a lot of things I want to talk to him about, right? The continued frustration over the Sam Kennedy comments, the latest on Jordan Montgomery. I did hear an interesting report. Actually, I read an interesting report yesterday. That said, maybe the Red Sox are the, the front runner to sign Montgomery. I didn't see that anywhere else, but I did see it one place from a guy who is kind of in the know. So I'll ask Buster about that and see what he hears or what he knows. I mean, Montgomery obviously would be a good fit for the Red Sox. Anybody that can throw pitches above 92 miles an hour that can reach the plate is, uh, you know, in the vicinity of the plate is a good fit right now for the Red Sox. Uh, so we'll get to Buster in a second. I do want to mention this though. Uh, the UAlbany women's basketball team and UVM are playing right now. The game just started a few minutes ago over at Patrick Gym. The men's teams are going to play in Albany tonight at 7. I'll be watching that game when I get home. We'll be following up on the women as well when I get home, and uh, we'll talk about both games tomorrow. But I did want to mention this, and I saw this flyer yesterday because I follow UAlbany basketball on social media, right? I'm from Albany. My brother went there. I used to work there. You know that story. So I follow you, uh, UAlbany basketball on social media. And you Albany posted that in anticipation of this game against UVM, the first 250 students that go to the game are going to get a free Chick-fil-A sandwich, right? It doesn't sound like much, but the first 250 students that go to the game get a coupon for a free Chick-fil-A sandwich. Why can't UVM do things like that? Yes, I know we don't have Chick-fil-A, but I have been saying this for years, that UVM does not do enough to engage their students, that UVM does not do enough to get their students engaged in the program. And something small like that, I, you Albany will get 250 students in their game tonight. UVM should do things like that too. I Look, I come at this from a different angle, right? As I used to work at you Albany, I used to be the guy on the court who would throw T-shirts into the crowd and would run contests at media timeouts, et cetera. UVM doesn't do anything like that, and – UVM gets a great crowd, right? You go to games, I go to games, they sell out a lot of games. But it's almost all townspeople. The players, I'm sure, undoubtedly, 
would like to see their student peers at these games in bigger numbers. It can't just be me, you, a bunch of people between 45 and 75 and their kids or grandkids. There's an entire group of people between, I don't know, 18 and 30 that aren't at these games. You've got to do more to engage young people. You've got to do more to get your student body at these games. This is a good program year in and year out. They need campus-wide support. And I've, I've thought all along that UVM should do more of that kind of stuff. I've said that forever, right? When I worked at UAlbany, I, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, they gave away mascot bobbleheads, right? One one game, students got mascot bobbleheads. One game, at a football game, there was a mini replica Casey Stadium. Bob Ford Field at Casey Stadium, people were given. They were, they gave out pizza and they gave out t-shirts and they gave out now Chick-fil-A stuff. Like UVM isn't engaged in any of that stuff and they should be. And it bothers me that they're not. It bothers me that I'm watching a conference rival that's four and seven in the league that doesn't have a lot going for it is doing the best it can to get the student body engaged and they're going to fill those, those 250 students are going to come today. I promise you. Why isn't UVM involved in things like that? Why isn't there a guy who's a version of me who stands out there in the media timeouts and throws T-shirts into the crowd? T's for threes, right? Why is there not a guy there who runs a shooting contest where you got to hit the the layup, the free throw, the three-pointer, and the half-court shot in 30 seconds, and if you do that, you win a TV. If you do that, you win free. We used to do free tuition at UAlbany for the semester if you could do that stuff. And you know what? No one ever did it. You don't ever have to, you're not ever going to give that money away. But like there, there are under 16 media timeouts, under 12, under 8, under 4. Okay, there's four media timeouts per half, plus other timeouts that teams take. Cheer team can come on for one, dance team can come on for one, and the version of me can come on for another, or another two, and do some of this stuff, right? Engage in these contests. If you do this, you win a pizza. If you do this, you win a, you win tuition. If you do that, you win a TV. If you do that, you win a t-shirt. If you do that, you win whatever. All of that stuff should be on the table and UVM doesn't do any of it. The 250, you know, kids that get a Chick-fil-A, like, that doesn't sound like much, but it's going to go a long way towards filling that building with students tonight or at least getting a decent student representation. If UVM did that, they could do it too, but they don't. And they know they're going to get a good crowd. They know that people are going to come out to this game or go to their games, I should say. But they're getting, they got to get the students there. And, and I continue to bang that drum that I want UVM to have better student representation. And I want the school to do a better job at getting that student representation. So, um, Albany has done a lot of things wrong in the time since I left. That is something they continue to do right, is doing what they can to get student engagement and get student fans. And I'd love to see, and we did that stuff for the women too, and the women had good crowds. And with as good as the UVM women are, they deserve that, right? They des- That program deserves it, and there should be more being done. It's the Brady Farkas Show, 802-585-3026. Yeah, that UVM and UAlbany game at Albany on the road tonight at 7. Again, the men and women, or the uh, women's game just started a little while ago. We'll have a more full breakdown of that tomorrow on the show, which is a, that's a very big game between those two powerhouse programs. Right now, I want to go out to the phone line and bring on Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Spring training games have started today. Dodgers Padres was on ESPN, uh, you know, a couple hours before the show. Buster, how are you? Uh, I feel a little jealous. I, I was talking to Eduardo Perez today, who was, you know, part of the broadcast, uh, the first one, and, and <laughs> just feel the enthusiasm. Like, you know, let's go. Yeah. He, he was so fired up and ready to go beforehand, and you can understand why, because, you know, there's there's a lot of excitement, especially about the Dodgers as we start. Interesting point made about the Red Sox the other day from John Tomasi over at NBC Sports Boston. So we heard all right, we heard the, the Tom Warner comments at the beginning of the offseason full throttle. We see clearly that that didn't transpire. We hear Sam Kennedy now the other day say, Craig Breslow did, in fact, have a budget he had to work in over the course of the offseason. Tomasi wonders if even Red Sox ownership is on the same page right now, Buster. Do you hear anything about if the Red Sox leaders are – are they in lockstep together or do they have conflicting views on things? 
Um, I, I think there's a there, well, I know there's a wide range of opinion as to what they should do uh, within that organization, and you know, and I think that uh, they've been working through it. The other part, you know, and you and I have have had a conversation about this before. You know, what are the other financial pressures? You know, given uh, John Henry's business interests, you know, uh, you know how did how does what happens in in the uh, the NHL or with the soccer team affect what the Red Sox are doing? And I I don't know the answer to that, um, but it definitely seems like there's a wide <laughs> wide range of of, of uh, possibilities there, and I think it's had a lot of effect on what they've done this off season. It's certainly been a uh, tumultuous and underwhelming offseason for the Red Sox. Buster, it's been an underwhelming offseason for baseball in general, right? Like, there's still a ton of free agents signed. There's a ton of guys with big name recognition that are unsigned. Tim Anderson, a former All-Star and batting champion, just signed earlier this morning for one year and five million. When is the rush of free agency gonna, gonna, gonna happen again? When are these guys gonna sign, Buster? No, it's not going to happen. You know, you'd wish that there was a flood, you know, like the spigot turns on and suddenly we got a bunch of players signed. I, I think it's it's just not going to be that way. It's going to continue to be a slow trickle, especially because, the you know, the person who's in the middle of that is Scott Boris, the player agent who represents so many of the big guys who are unsigned, George Montgomery and Blake Snell, uh, Matt Chapman, Cody Bellinger, J.D. Martinez, and, you know, Scott's perspective is he's going to wait for, uh, you know, players to get the value that he believes that they should get. You know, teams disagree with his assessment on what that value is. But one thing other agents have speculated upon is that we are now uh, enough into spring training where if you're sitting in Boris's shoes or the agent of an, uh, someone who's representing another player, you're going to wait for injuries. I mean, this morning we got news that Kodai Senga mm-hmm. of the Mets, you need to be their ace, is out indefinitely. You know, does that change something for Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell? Does that change the market? You know, agents are saying once you get into spring training, inevitably injuries begin, injuries begin to manifest and teams that weren't going to be aggressive suddenly can get very aggressive because they want to address needs on their team. Buster Olney of ESPN joining us here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. You mentioned Jordan Montgomery. A lot has been made about his potential fit with the Red Sox this offseason. It obviously hasn't happened yet. I saw Marino Pepin, who is a, a Spanish-language kind of Red Sox insider yesterday. He tweeted that the Red Sox, he thinks, have the inside lane on Montgomery, although I did not hear that from anybody else. Montgomery has been in Boston this uh, offseason because of his wife and what she's doing in her career. So, there is a logical tie in there, Buster. Have you heard anything about Montgomery maybe being a fit here? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and it might just come down to as it does with so many players. Okay, what's the what's the asking price? Uh, you, you know, how close is that to to making it a reality? I think you and I started the the Jordan Montgomery conversation like back in December, <laughs> yeah. where on paper it just felt like he was such a perfect fit because he's got experience in the American League East. Uh, he's a guy who can be not necessarily, you know, a, a Garrett Cole type starting pitcher, but he's an old plow horse, reliable guy. And even if you don't necessarily believe that you're going to contend for the division this year, as you sign him to a long-term deal, you know, maybe in 2025, 26, 27, he's the perfect, you know, number two, number three type guy in a, in a successful rotation. It, it, I think on paper, it's made sense. Given where their payroll is, they clearly could afford it. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if it, it comes to fruition. From what I understand, you know, at the beginning of this process, he really wanted to go back to the Rangers. He was happy with the Rangers. Uh, they loved him, but they bumped into some financial concerns because of the television contract. And that might just not be available to him. I think the Red Sox would be a great alternative. Yeah, we will see what happens. And right as of, you know, as we speak right now, he is still out there. Uh, Buster, you did some real investigative reporting. You do that a lot, but I was impressed by it over the weekend. You broke the financials on the Red Sox deal with Liam Hendricks. Two years, 10 million, some incentives and things like that tied to it. But, uh, what do you know about what went into the, uh, Hendricks negotiations? Let's face it. It really comes down to 2025. Uh, it's an investment from them, uh, on the Red Sox part. You know, a bet that Liam Hendricks has been one of the most dominant relievers in baseball will bounce back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, and, you know, let's face it, with Kenley Jansen's situation, you know, we're all wondering if he's going to be traded this spring. 
He almost certainly will be traded before the deadline. They're going to need a closer in 2025. And, you know, Liam Hendricks is somebody who came back from cancer. So I think the Red Sox probably are are, uh, feeling pretty good about the chances that he could work his way back from arm surgery. They did this with Hendricks. They did this with Michael Fulmer, who we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. So the 2025 Red Sox bullpen is taking shape. But Buster, I look at it, (laughs) I look at it a little, a little more cynically because they're going to lose Jansen. They're going to lose Chris Martin next year in free agency if they don't trade him. So I'm like, well, we're just going to start next season in a neutral position like we started this offseason. Well, at least they're looking ahead. Right? All they At do is they're... look ahead, Buster. All they do is well, look I ahead. <laughs> I, I, I think they're going to be more effective in that as we go forward. <laughs> well, I mean, everything is looking ahead. And, you know, I was talking about this with Tom Karen yesterday. And, and as I told him, and I'll tell you, I think two things are true here at the same time. The Red Sox trade over the weekend of John Schreiber to the Royals for this minor league pitcher, David Sandlin, is probably a good trade, right? They're trading a guy who's a 30-plus reliever, who's about to be 30, who's only had one good year, who was a waiver pickup, and they're turning him into a six-year starting pitcher prospect that people generally feel good about. So it probably is a good baseball move. But on the same side of things, I'm like, here we go again, trading from the now for the future. And as Buster, as somebody who enjoys the team being good right now, I'm bothered continuously by moves that are only about the future. Yeah, I I hear you. Uh, but, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, if privately uh, what their concerns were about Schreiber. I tended to look at it, and you've seen over the last, you know, six, seven years, all these teams now are going to the use of, parade, you know, parade of relievers who throw out, they throw maximum velocity, and then they burn out quickly. And I wonder if when I saw this trade, I was wondering, boy, this might be the case of the Red Sox feeling like, okay, we got that incredible 22 season out of him, and we're concerned about him going forward, and we want to get some value out of him while he still is throwing okay. Because it's incredible how many of those guys, you know, the late bloomers who picked up extra velocity, who got a, who have nasty breaking balls, they get hurt constantly. So I hear you at the same time, I think given his trajectory and his history in the past, he's not someone you think is going to be necessarily a, a big factor within two years anyway. Yeah, that and that's very, very possible. And I think you, again, he's been in the league for three years or four years. He's only got one of which are good. But, again, it's just what it all represents to me. Had me bothered there. Hey, Buster, as you get ready to go to Red Sox spring training, who are you most interested in seeing from this new look group? Yeah, uh, and, and by the way, it also hurts from your perspective uh, as a fan, you know, you've got the, the Red Sox trading for future assets and the Royals on yep. the other hand, picking up Schreibel and being win now. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's, you know, that's a change. So I can understand what, uh, you know, why you're talking about that. Tristan Cassis to me, um, you know, I just got uh, off the phone with Joe Castiglione and, <sighs> and he was talking about how, you know, in his mind, Cassis is going to be a guy who's going to be a 40 homer a year guy. He's going to be a superstar, to use Joe's word. And it will be interesting to see what he does to build on that incredible second half he had last year. You know, and Duran is another one uh, because he looked, before he got hurt in August, he, he looked great. Like, it felt like he had turned the corner. And, and so you hope those two young players, from the Red Sox perspective, they're so important for, you know, what they're doing. And I'm also curious to see Alex Cora, you know, because I had heard that he lost a lot of weight. I heard he looks great. Uh, I, I mean, he's going to be right at the forefront uh, of what uh, looks like to be a, an incredible managerial shakeup, you know, potentially at the end of the 2024 season. So I'm curious to see what his perspective is. Buster, we'll get you out of here on Cora. I, my gut tells me now he's not going to be back next year. Um, his, I agree. His comments at the beginning of spring training were very, very candid when he's like, you know, I was told if you go, if you're somewhere longer than five years, you know, you kind of run your course there. He's been there longer than five years. I think he's going to put everything he has into this team, you know, because that's his nature and he loves baseball and he's committed to the job. But I think he's going to get a lucrative offer somewhere else. And I think he's just kind of burned out on Boston. And I think he may have one good contract left in him somewhere else. And then I think he may be done managing by, you know, five years from now. Well, we'll see about how long he goes for. I mean, I've seen that change where, you know, you'll talk to manager. I mean, we sure heard it from Rob Manfred last week. He's like, well, my current contract is done. You know, I'm out after 2029. You know, Bud Selig said that like three times <laughs> and came back. I've seen managers who say I'm done. I mean, 
I, I thought Bruce Bochy was done as a manager, and all he did was win a World Series, right? Um, so we'll see where, you know, how long Alex goes. But I agree with you. I think that he's going to move on. And, and you and I have touched on in the past the number of jobs that potentially, if you just want to sit here and speculate, might come open at the end of the year. I think Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager, will go into this year, basically, you got to win a World Series or you're in trouble. Aaron Boone of the Yankees, you know, it feels like is going in the, into that situation. You've got the Mets. Uh, with the with new leadership under David Stearns, what happens with the, their rookie manager, Carlos Mendoza? If they found an alternative, do we think that they would hesitate, you know, to uh, to go and get another one? No. I think there could be tremendous manager upheaval in the offseason. I think Alex would be right in the middle of it. And there's going to be a few teams that are garbage that end up cycling through their managers, but Toronto and Seattle, two teams that are good but maybe not great, they could move on from their managers too, Buster. Skip Schumacher, who, uh, you know, manager of the year for the Marlins yeah. last year. He's one of the best young managers. His contract expires this fall. Uh, he's going to be, a, he's going to be one of the big free agents in that class coming up. There you go. Buster only ESPN MLB insider. Buster, we've got one spring game here, you know, just about under our belt and many more to come. We'll see the Red Sox a bunch over the weekend as well. We'll have some games to talk about, uh, next week. We look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Brady. All right, that was Buster Olney, our ESPN MLB insider. Buster remains the best, right? And a lot of good stuff there. Uh, we'll talk about Alex Cora in a second. But how about Buster just casually dropping in? I was talking to Joe Castig right before I was talking to you. A couple weeks ago, Buster was a little late to call in because he was too busy talking to Roger Clemens. Today, he just gets off the phone with Joe Castig right before us. Like, what kind of drop-off are you having there where you're going from Joe Castig to the Brady Farkas show? Or at least to Brady Farkas, right? Buster loves DEV, but, you know, to go from Joe Kostig to me or Roger Clemens to me, these two things are not, not alike. So, um, speaking of what Joe said, I do think Tristan Costas is headed for a huge year, right? We could talk about all the belly aching and we can all be frustrated, lack of pitching and all that. And we, and they're all true. But when you break down things that you're excited about for the Red Sox season, that has to be number one. Or that has to be right up there, right? The things you want to see develop, I want to see Grissom develop. I want to see Yoshida in year two. I want to see if any of the young pitchers can take a step, how Whitlock, Crawford, etc. Better than all of that, I want to see Story, what he does. More important than all that, I want to see what Casas does. Because I truly think he's headed for an all-star season. And he's, and I think he very well might be headed, if he's healthy, for a top 10 MVP season. I think he is that good a hitter. Right, He's a little eccentric. His defense isn't great, although it got better last year. But offensively, he is a force. And if he is that force, then the Red Sox offensively, you know, portend to be better than we think they are. Right? Look, they've lost Duvall from last year as of now. They've lost Justin Turner as of last year from now. Someone's got to make that up. Story's going to be a big part of it, and Casas is going to be a big part of it as well. If we, if we look at it, and you get the best version of everybody, Devers, Story, Casas makes up a very good 2-3-4. Yoshida is a 5, O'Neal, you know, best version of everybody. It's a much better offense than you think it is, right? Much better offense than you thought that it would be. Um, I think Casas is headed for a huge year, and I hope that, you know, Joe is right. And I hope that Buster is right, but we're all excited to watch what Casas does. If he gets a full 162 win, is he going to hit 40? Yeah, I don't know that. Could he hit 32 and bring in 95? Could he hit 32 and bring in 102? Yeah, I think he could. I think that's absolutely in the cards. And I think he has the ability to hit for average also. Is he going to hit 310? No. But I don't think he's the guy who hits 227 with 30 homers. I think he can hit 265. He can hit 270. I think he's just a good all-around hitter. He's a good all-around hitter. I do not think that Alex Cora is going to be back next year. Now, Buster's right. You know, a guy says, like, hey, I'm done after this, and then they end up changing their mind. So how long Cora manages for, I don't know. But I think he's done in Boston after this year. I mean, he said it in his press conference last week when spring training started. He's like, look, I was always told if you stay in a place five or six years, you tend to get a little worn down. Well, he's been here now five or six years, right? He gets here in 2017. No, he gets here in... 2018, excuse me, 2018, 2019, he's gone for COVID 2020, suspended. Ron Renicki has the team. 
2021, he's back. 2022, 2023, that's five years. This is six. So a little burnout. Now his, you know, this is his third front office structure that he's been with, right? He's been with Dave Dombrowski. He's been with Heim. And now he's been with Greg Breslow. His third front office structure. A lot of turnover. Get beaten down. Team hasn't been very good. They don't figure to be very good this year. I think he's done. He's he's headed for big money as far as I'm concerned. Right? Buster talks about, look at all the managerial jobs that might be open next offseason. Yankees, ton of pressure. Dodgers, ton of pressure. My Mariners might be open. Blue Jays. Marlins might lose Schumacher. There's a lot of jobs that are going to be open. Alex Cora is going to have some high-profile suitors. If he does anything in Boston, they're going to come calling for him. If he doesn't do anything in Boston, he's going to have a built-in excuse. So I think he's automatically going to be a candidate for a bunch of jobs. And I think he sees the writing on the wall that this job isn't that appealing right now for the next few years. Right? It might be an appealing job in three years. It's not an appealing job today. Doesn't look like a great job for 2025 at this point. So I don't think that, I, I think Buster and I are on the same page here. I don't think Alex Cora is back. I think he wants to manage. I don't think he's going to be long for managing. I don't think he's going to manage for another decade. Buster seems to think that he might. But I don't think that certainly the next, I don't think the next contract's going to be in Boston. I don't. Uh, 802-585-3026. We are coming down to the wire here. There is something that I wanted to message and Danny, or uh, to mention, excuse me. And Danny, it's going to take me a minute to find it here, but very, very interesting. It was over on WEEI earlier today. Actually, it was, this was yesterday, right? On, uh, Jones, Mago, and Arcan, a show that we, we talk about a lot. They got a call yesterday. And Danny says, okay, we do have it now. This was from Dave over in Arlington, Massachusetts, a WEEI caller who had this to say about the Red Sox. He said they were the most compelling team in baseball and said that real fans don't care about wins and losses. Traditional fan and the, the real traditional fan is not horizontal. It doesn't, he doesn't look forward to September to some place in, in the playoff uh, uh, positioning. Uh, whether or not the, the, the team will win more than lose, that's not the focus of a fan. The fan is concerned about the everyday game. It's a game, it's a warm weather, protracted season. Every single game is in itself uh, a reality. Okay. I kind of think I get what the caller is going for, but, of course, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? Like, I'm not going to just rip this guy that I don't know. We didn't call him to our show, so I'm not going to slander him behind his back. But that's just not true, okay? Real fans, true fans, care immensely about wins and losses, (laughs) Real true fans care immensely about where the team is headed, where the team is going, where the team is in the standings. I will tell you, I will be looking at the Mariners' standings every single day from the time season starts to the end of the year. Right? Like, if the Mariners are 2-7, and seven, I'll be like, oh, boy, they're already four games out. That's already a lot to make up. Like, that matters to me a lot. Okay? All my fandom is is towards getting the Mariners and then the Red Sox into the playoffs. That That's what I care about as a fan. I want to see my team try to win a World Series. You can't get to a World Series. You can't win it if you don't have more wins than losses, if you don't get to the playoffs. So every single day I'm looking at standings thinking, how can my team find an easy path to the playoffs? Hey, they won a bunch of games in April. They banked a bunch of wins. That's really good in their quest to get to the playoffs. That's what I think about. I think what the caller is saying is like, in his mind, true fans just look at it day by day, right? And true fans are looking at individual storylines of that day. And that, that are, there is some truth to that, right? Like the, the casual fan just shows up in September and like, okay, where are we? The true diehards looking at it every single day and all right, hey, how'd my, how'd Giolito do today? All right, what do we see out of Hauk today? Did he get any better today? Anything we can build on there? How about Whitlock? How about Casas today? That There are fans that look at each game as an individual storyline unto itself, and I think there's a lot of validity to that. But at the end of the day, we all care about wins. We all care about wins, and we all care about where our team goes to get to the playoffs. So Dave in Arlington, I can, I can appreciate what you're putting, what you're putting down there, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me.
doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. That is going to do it for us. I want to thank Buster Olney for stopping by. I want to thank Danny, as always, for producing and engineering the program. We've got girls' regular season basketball coming up next. Brent Curtis is on the call. We're coming on to the wire in girls' high school basketball. Soon we will have playoff brackets there as well, and they will join the, join the boys in the uh, quest to ultimately get state championships. So, again, Brent Curtis is next. Thank you for all listening. Go download the podcast. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and WDEVradio.com. I'll see you tomorrow on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM.